Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Timothy. The New Testament book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 1. The book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 1. We understand that as we go through the pastoral epistles, this is the Apostle Paul writing to his sons in the faith. Both Timothy, two books, and then Titus for another book. But Paul is taking time to encourage these young pastors on how to be a pastor, some things they need to be reminded in their own personal lives so they could be the proper shepherd that they ought to be. The Apostle Paul, of course, is already by this time has lived a life following after Christ. He has been beaten, he's been shipwrecked, he's been abused. These are some of Paul's last letters. At this time, the Apostle Paul has already penned the book of Romans, the book of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. He goes to the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the book of Hebrews, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. These books have already been penned and recorded. The book of Philemon is already penned at this time too. The Apostle Paul has already been arrested in Jerusalem, spent some times in um, Caesarea. Then he was shipped to Rome where he's under house arrest for a while, where the Apostle Paul stood before Nero and gave an account and Nero let him go. Though we know in history that this is only a temporary matter. The book of 1 Timothy and the book of Titus was written in between the times that Paul was in prison. And the reason why I'm recounting this history is that if there was anyone who understood spiritual warfare, it would be the Apostle Paul. Because he was in the midst of warfare all the time. And now as he's understanding that things are starting to wind down for him and that it would be Timothy and it would be Titus who would be carrying forth the work. He takes some time from time to time talking about uh, the uh, responsibilities of a pastor and brings up the idea of warfare several times throughout these three books, reminding these, th these young men who are now in the Lord's work serving as pastors that there is a real thing of spiritual warfare and that they need to be prepared for it. They have to understand it. They have to see what all goes along with it and get past it when it hits. So with that in mind, let's look as the Apostle Paul finishes up the book of 1 Timothy chapter number 1 and notice with me in 1 Timothy chapter number 1 and notice with me in verse number 18. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and notice with me in verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before thee on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not 
to blaspheme. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Timothy chapter number 1? The book of 1 Timothy chapter number 1, and notice the phrase at the very end of verse number 18, war a good warfare. War a good warfare. War a good warfare. And with the Lord's help, we're going to hit this idea of spiritual warfare as Paul is describing it in these couple of verses here to Timothy to remind him that he has a responsibility to war a good warfare. If you don't mind, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And we thank you for the warnings in the Bible and the teachings. And that just the reminder that we are in a spiritual warfare whether we like it or not. And there is a way to participate, to interact, to be in the war that is around us. This spiritual war that we could see the victories. Lord, I'm asking that you would allow victories in our lives as we do what we're supposed to do, as we stand where we're supposed to stand, as we move forward as we're supposed to move forward, that we could understand a little bit more about the spiritual war and not be daunted by it, not run away from it, but understand our place in it. Lord, strengthen people up tonight. And again, because this is a spiritual warfare, I do not take this lightly, so the best I know how, I surrender myself to you. Ask that you fill me with your spirit right now. That you can get across exactly what is necessary to help someone get victories in their life today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we just mentioned, spiritual warfare is a real thing. As soon as you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're in the war. Whether you want to or not. We understand that we have three main enemies. We have the world. We have the flesh. And we have the devil. Those are the three main enemies that we fight. The world, we're not talking about the ground. And we're not talking necessarily of the people. But we're talking about the world system. Do you know the world system is against God? Hollywood is against God. The music industry is against God. Social media. The world system is moving against God. Moving away from God. And doing opposite of God. That is a warfare that we all have to battle on a daily basis. We have to war, a good warfare. We know that we have the world. We also have the devil. Do you know the devil doesn't want God's work to move forward? And that he is a subtle, he's tricky, and he knows how to do things. He's a deceiver. We understand that if Satan came in, or somebody came in, and with a pitchfork and a tail, and said, all right, give me all your Bibles, we'd kick him out. All right? But if he comes in subtly, and tries to deceive people and make people just stop reading their Bible. Well, that's how Satan works. He's doing, he's subtle. He doesn't do anything face on. He always does things subtly and ways that we're not expecting him. But then we also have the warfare of our flesh. Do you know our flesh doesn't want to serve God? You may think it does, but it does not. Kind of like in the morning, Sunday morning. I don't want you to raise your hand, but... You could have woke up this morning at Sunday and go, oh, I'm tired, allergies, I don't want to move forward. But you know you need to. And you say, I have to tell your flesh, no, we're going whether you want to or not. Okay, fine. But you know, our flesh, it doesn't want to read the Bible. You start to read the Bible and you start seeing, that's why we don't read our Bible standing up, right? I mean, you start praying and your flesh says, you know, this is a good nap time. Don't you understand your flesh is against the things of God? It doesn't want to. 
And we're in a warfare with the three main enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And we have to understand that we're in a spiritual warfare. And it is a constant warfare. And things that we have to deal with all the time. Well, because... Timothy is a pastor that means he's a leader in spiritual warfare you know we gave the title of it war a good warfare that carries the idea that there's an action what is Timothy supposed to do sit out a good warfare hide a good warfare cry a good warfare Paul gave him the instructions to war a good warfare He was supposed to go to war with the idea that there is a battle involved. You understand, you can't have a victory without a battle. A battle is necessary in the spiritual war. There has to be something to be confronted with. There is no no place for cowards inside of a warfare and not a spiritual warfare. You know, it's much easier in our flesh likes this, that when we come in a confrontation, it wants to hide, wants to give up, wants to quit, Wants to go away. But that leads to an idea of allowing the enemy to take ground. May I pause here and go through history? In World War II, as we went through (laughs) fighting the uh, Japanese front with the Pacific, they had all these little tiny islands. And in order to go to Japan, we could have missed all of those islands, sailed around and got straight to Japan. But they took time to take each and every island. They went to each island, sent the marines. They fought against the Japanese when they could have went around. It's an island. Why? Because they did not want the enemy to take any ground. They took the time to fight for each and every one of them. That's part of spiritual warfare is not allow the enemy to take any ground none whatsoever and in spiritual warfare our flesh is willing to give the enemy ground in order for a perceived easement to make things easy for us but all it does is give a strategic advantage to the enemy to attack us on a different front the enemy is not going to be satisfied until they've taken all the ground so Paul is instructing Timothy here to war a good warfare. That is an action. That is a responsibility. So with that framework in mind, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter number 1. And let's see some of the things that Paul instructs Timothy in dealing with him warring a good warfare. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 18. And we see the idea, there's a charge to obey. A charge to obey. Obey. Notice with me in verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Now Paul starts off with Timothy and charges him to press forward. I charge you. You need to go forward. You need to press ground. You need to keep going. We've equipped you. We prepared you. We've trained you. We've given you what you needed. You need to press forward. You need to go forward. Now, when Timothy was ordained into the ministry, he was given a charge. Um, We see that in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 14. It says, neglect not the gift that was in thee, which 
was given thee by the prophecy with the laying of the hands of the presbytery. Here it's talking about him being ordained into the ministry. All right, you're going to be a pastor. There's some things you've already been trained. Now we've evaluated you. Now we're laying hands, recognizing that God has got a principle for you and that God has given you spiritual gifts and we're expecting you to move forward. We're expecting you to move on. What is part of the charge he gave? Well, the Bible talks about that Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, he says, he's talking to Peter and he says, Peter upon this rock, and he points to himself, shall I build my church? We recognize that it is God's church, not Timothy's church, not Paul's church, not your church, not my church. And whose responsibility is it to build? God's. Jesus said, I will build my church. But then notice what he said. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now we're talking about warfare. And if you are on a side and the gates will not prevail against you, mean they won't withstand, are you on the offense or are you in the defense? You're on the offense. The gates of hell will not hold. They're going to fall down when we're advancing forward. Well, you have to advance forward. The spiritual life is an offensive warfare, not a defensive warfare. You can't hold up and just wait for the enemy to come. We're supposed to be advancing forward in prayer, in the ministry. And they were charged, Timothy, you've got to advance forward because even the gates of hell cannot prevent it, cannot stop it. We're going to advance forward. We're going to be seeing victories. And this was part of the charge that Timothy was given that we're supposed to be advancing forward. We're supposed to be moving forward. Always moving forward. There's a charge to obey. Notice as he goes on and describes this a little bit more in verse 18. I ch this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went... Now the prophecies was Jesus talking about the gates of hell should not prevail against them. Winch before, winch before on thee that by them, this prophecies, thou mightest war a good warfare. So Timothy, during the time he was ordained, was challenged and charged that you need to keep pressing forward. You keep, need to keep moving forward. It talks about in verse... Uh, in chapter 4, verse 14, the gift that was given. Do you know that the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you receive a spiritual gift? The Holy Spirit of God moves inside of you, and He also grants you a gift. Everyone receives a gift. Now, we're not going to talk about the spiritual gifts here. <coughs> um, there are things that God gives, there's administrations, there's uh, dealing with the idea of organizations, there's encouragements, there's uh, the, the, um, thing of helps or some people are good background workers there's teachers of course God calls people to pastor or to preach and so there are things that God has given everyone has at least one spiritual gift and God has given you those gifts to advance forward in the work everyone has something to do everyone does you say well I'm too quiet and I can't teach a class well God may have given you the ministry of helps there's the ministry of encouragements some people are good encouragers some people are good givers those are dealing with the spiritual gifts that God has given to us and they're to help advance the church forward help advance the fight forward the warfare going on and Paul is reminding Timothy you got to war a good warfare. You've got a charge to keep. You have to keep going forward. We've told you this before, and I'm reminding you now, you have to keep moving forward, even though the easier thing seems to be holding on. 
At this time, Paul has already written uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 6, which deals with the idea of spiritual armor. Timothy, got to remember, if you're going to war, uh, war the warfare, you got to put on the armor. When we turn there really quick, the book of Ephesians chapter 6, we're not going to spend a lot of time here. But just as a reminder about the spiritual armor, it talks about in the book of Ephesians chapter number uh, 6. Let's get a good running start. Verse number uh, 10. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is a good point here. We don't, other people are not our enemies. Our enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil, not other people. And so it is a spiritual war. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand." Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. The, uh, <laughs> this carries the idea of something carrying your midsection to protect you. And you know what's going to protect you at the vulnerable spots is truth. Truth will protect you. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. That You ever heard of the idea of a chink in your armor? It has the idea of there's a little place where something can get through. Well, if you are living a righteous life and doing what you're supposed to, Nothing can get through. There's no holes in the armor having the breastplate of righteousness. And having your feet shod with a preparation of the gospel of peace. I'm someone who hates feet. I hate bare feet. I hate sandals. I hate those things. Whenever I get in a fight and if someone's wearing sandals, I want to take a heel of my boot and slam them right in there. It's a vulnerable spot. Can you imagine someone going out with a full plate of armor and flip-flops? Nice sword. All right, let's go, guys. Where's the vulnerable spot? They're targeted. Well, the Bible says we have need have our feet shod with the preparation of peace, having the gospel. If you are not advancing forward, asking people every week the question, then you're vulnerable. You have a place where you're weak. Your armor is available. You can't move forward without this. This is part of it. Above all, taking the shield of faith, whereby you should be able to take, quench the fiery darts of the wicked. So as Satan's throwing darts, by faith, looking unto Jesus to protect them. And take the helmet of salvation. If somebody doubts their salvation, they're vulnerable. You need to have assurance of your salvation. Know that you're saved and why you're saved. And then our only offensive weapon, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. To be able to swing the sword, be proficient, know your weapon. Well, again, Timothy has already been told and taught about the spiritual warfare long before here. And so Paul is teaching him and encouraging him. You need to advance forward. You got a charge to keep. You have this armor. You have to war a good warfare. Paul had been trained under Paul for about 15 years now. He's well trained. He's been discipled. And now it's Timothy's responsibility to press forward. He had a charge to keep. As we turn back to 1 Timothy chapter number 1, we see not only is there a charge to keep, but as we come to verse number 19, we see that there's a faith to hold. A faith 
to hold. Notice with me in verse 19. Holding faith and a good conscience. This idea of faith here is often used in two ways. Sometimes we use the word faith to carry out the idea of our body of belief. This is our faith. This is our body of belief. This is what we believe about the Bible. Holding our faith. Then we also use the faith in the connotation of something that helps us to get through. Our faith helps us to get through. It's a living principle of trusting in Jesus that I have faith. I'm looking unto Jesus and it allows me to go forward. We have to have both of these, a body of belief and this living principle that allows us to go through. This is our faith. But notice what it says in verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience. Which some having put away. This word put away carries this idea of not just putting away nicely. But thrusting away. I don't want your faith anymore. I'm not going to trust in Jesus anymore. I'm not going to believe in him. And so again we have the two things of faith. There are some people that said I don't want to believe what the Bible says anymore. And they thrust it away. There are some people who are wounded in the battle. And what they say is, I'm not going to trust in Jesus anymore. And they press it away. What happens when they thrust their faith away, the Bible says, have made shipwreck. Holding faith in a good conscience, which some have put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. This word shipwreck carries the idea of a ship that is smashed into rocks. So we know that the spiritual warfare goes forward but there's casualties. Unfortunately, there is. There's casualties on our side. That from time to time, when people are not advancing forward, they're not wearing the armor of God. They're not being aware of the wiles of the devil. They're not carrying the shield of faith. They have some other chinks of their armor. They're not living righteously. Something happens and they quit. They said, I don't want to do this no more. I'm not going to church no more. I'm not trusting in Jesus. It's easier not to do this. I'm just going to hold up and wait here. What happens is they set aside, they thrust aside their faith. And what happens, eventually they're going to run smash into something and be shipwrecked. They're going to be broken. There's casualties in this war. But there's a faith to hold. You have to hold form your faith. You have to hold it close. Knowing that if you set it aside. There's a danger of smashing into the rocks. Having a life that is destroyed. Having a life that is crushed. Because they stopped holding the faith. There's the consequences. You think that Satan takes any prisoners? Do you think someone says. Hey Satan. You know I don't want to fight no more. I'm going to surrender. Don't hurt me. Do you think Satan's going to let you go by? Not at all. He wants to smash your life so it is useless so you cannot get back in the fight. So someone who gives up is not making things easier for them. They're headed to the worst danger they could run into. And have their faith smashed. Or their faith is going to have their life be wrecked and smashed. Unfortunately, that's not the worst of it. He's saying, Timothy, there's a war to warfare and you've got a charge to keep. You have to keep going forward. Put on the armor of God. Recognize your enemies. Keep going forward because there's a faith to hold. That there's some people that are going to give up the faith. They're going to let go of the lifeline. They're going to let go of this and they're going to veer off and they're going to crash in the rocks. You've got to keep going forward. But Timothy, I've got to tell you something else. There's an opposition to withstand. There's an opposition to withstand.
In verse number 20, the Apostle Paul references two men that Timothy knows and that Paul knows that the church of Ephesus has dealt with. Remember, Paul was the founder of the church of Ephesus. He pastored there for a while, started a Bible institute, and was going forward. But there were two men specifically in the church of Ephesus, not talking about outside of the church of Ephesus. I'm talking about the people within. There is no hurt like those that were within that decide to turn away from the Lord. There's almost no preparation, no protection from this type of thing. If you're fighting against the devil, you could put on the armor of God. When you're fighting against the world, there are things you could do. To fight against the flesh, you could die to self. There are things to do. But someone who is within our ranks, who decide that they're going to turn sideways, that's some of the hurt that you could almost not, uh, that you have a hard time dealing with, but we must. Notice if you don't mind in verse number 20. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander? Well, Hymenaeus and Alexander are mentioned a little bit later. Let's look at them if you don't mind. First of all, in 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Let's look at Hymenaeus. What did Hymenaeus do that was so dangerous? Why was it that he made Paul's list here and say, Timothy, you got to watch out for these guys. Notice with me in 2 Timothy chapter number 2. In verse number 17, it says, uh, let's... Start at verse 15 and get a good running start. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying, the resurrection is past already. Notice this, and overthrow the faith of some. So what happened is that Hymenaeus had got some false teaching somewhere and had begun to teach other people within the church that, guess what? The resurrection is already past. Jesus has already come. You missed it. You're not going to be risen from the grave. Isn't that a horrible teaching? You missed Jesus. The rapture's already come. You're living in the last days. You're stuck. And so some people, when they were told there was no hope, if you were told that you were not going to be risen from the grave, if you're going to be told you're not going to heaven, wouldn't that shipwreck some people's faith of young, who are young Christians? Absolutely. And so Hymenaeus began to work, and, and Paul says his word doth act like a canker. If we could put it a different way, it's like a cancer. That Hymenaeus' teaching began to grow like a cancer. And cancer, of course, is something dangerous within a body. It's an abnormal growth. It is something that, that is hurting and it has to be cut away. It has to be dealt with. And, of course, Paul had to deal with this and had to deal with Hymenaeus. That Hymenaeus was in there disrupting things in the church. Notice, if you don't mind, someone else. We saw Alexander. Who is Alexander? Notice with me in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and Paul is at the end of his life, and he's giving Timothy these last instructions as now Paul is in jail once again. He's going to be beheaded by Nero very quickly after this book is written. But Paul is writing to Timothy, and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, notice with me in verse number 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. 
the Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou ware. So Timothy, you still beware of him, for he hath greatly withstood our words. So here, Alexander also had got some false doctrine, was trying to teach things, bypass the pastor, bypass the things that Paul was doing. Paul stood before him and said, Alexander, you can't do this. You can't teach this. You can't be like this. So now Alexander has taken his personal responsibility to destroy the church of Ephesus and destroy the works that had been done. You know that hurts when someone turns, someone leaves, someone we served with, and all of a sudden they leave and they make it their goal to destroy the church that they left, throw in grenades as they walk off to try to hurt other people as they walk away. And Timothy say, or Paul is saying, Timothy, you got to beware of Alexander. The, I was going through a hard time. And isn't it funny that these wolves, they come out when the uh, pastoral leadership is a little bit vulnerable? At this time, Paul had the people uh, <laughs> raising up during a trial. And while he was in a trial, Alexander the coppersmith stabbed him in the back and tried to overthrow Paul and try to take over. And now Paul is saying, hey, he did me much harm. And Timothy, you got to beware of him because he's still, he's still at it. He's still trying to work. He's still trying to do his damage. We understand there's an opposition to withstand. So what did Paul do concerning these two people? Notice with me in verse 20, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 20. Paul re references these two men. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they learn not to blaspheme. Now that sounds like some pretty heavy things. I've turned them over to Satan so they learn not to blaspheme. So they learn that God is God and God is in control. What does this mean? Well, there's another time this phrase is mentioned. Notice with me in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. And let's see what we can learn and glean from this. We're coming right back here. But again, I'm trying to say that there's a battle to be won. Timothy is being told, hey, war a good warfare, and you need to go. There's a charge to keep. You have to realize that God's plan is to move forward, to keep taking ground, to keep moving forward, looking unto Jesus. With this, you have to understand there's a faith to hold. Keep a hold of your faith. Keep looking unto Jesus. Keep people on the fire line. Keep them going, because as soon as they quit, they're going to head to shipwreck. But also there's an opposition to withstand. It's one thing to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. But then there's people that want to destroy people. People that we served with. People that we loved. That are fighting against us. And then Paul said, I delivered him unto Satan. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, Paul is during, dealing with the church of Corinth. And the church of Corinth has got a lot of bad things going on. Currently they have a man who's in the deep sin they could possibly think of such that Gentiles wouldn't even think about doing it. But here's a guy who's doing it in church and everyone knows about it. So Paul in verse number 5, 1 Corinthians 5, 5, he says, to deliver such a one unto Satan. Now that's the same phrase that he used with Hymenaeus and Alexander. To deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, meaning they're going to die physically that the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the spirit of, in the Lord Jesus. So these people who are delivered to Satan, it says that they're saved. When they die, they're going to heaven. But because they've turned against God, because they've turned against these things here, he says, "I'm going to let, I'm going to turn them over to Satan. I'm going to allow Satan to go ahead and get a hold of him. It's almost like putting a, a wanted poster, dead or alive. Here you go, Satan. Take care of that." 
It's God delivering it. And Satan has permission to work in someone's life. Can you imagine what a horrible thing for Satan to have permission of God to do something in someone's life to teach them that God is God and don't mess with God. That's a bad line to cross, especially since these people are going to heaven. The Bible says they're not going to hell. They're going to heaven. They're going to be saved in that day. But because they who were once part of the ranks, part of the church, they turned aside, teaching false things, hurting people, and they won't repent. They won't get right. But now they're making it a deal that they're going to try to destroy the church they were once a part of. Paul says, I had no choice. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't obey. I had to turn them over to God and say, God, you deal with them now. And God wrote a thing to Satan said, Satan, you do whatever you want with them. They're going to heaven. But Satan, you destroy them for the destruction of the flesh. What a dangerous, dangerous place to be in. You say, this isn't fun at all. Let me tell you, war is not fun. War is not nice. There are casualties. There are people who give up their faith and become shipwrecked. There are people, oppositions that will be a quizzling, to be a traitor. And they'll, they'll get sideways. They'll get bitter. They'll get messed up. They'll get false doctrine. And they'll end up trying to hurt the people of the church that are trying to move forward. And that's a type of hurt that's hard to get over. Because they were one of us. But again, he's telling Timothy, you got to war a good warfare. You got to keep moving on. You have to understand that this is, this is real. And there are real lives in balance. This isn't a game of laser tag. This isn't a thing of Nerf guns where you get the little darts that hit you and you just kind of laugh it off. In the spiritual warfare of Christianity, of God versus Satan, God versus the world, God versus the flesh, we understand that there are real casualties and real people get hurt. That's why it does concern us when people stop, start missing a service here and there. We don't see them on a Sunday night. We don't see them on a Sunday morning. They stop coming to Sunday school. They stop being excited for it. Because we know that there's casualties when they stop go doing those things. They're letting go of their faith. And we know that it's going to lead to shipwreck. And that hurts when we watch people get shipwrecked, people that we love. And they said, what happened to them? And then when people within our own ranks sometimes get sideways, their flesh, the world, something gets a hold of them. And they get sideways. The pastor maybe have to correct them. I'm sorry, we're not going to teach that here. I'm sorry, you don't have a platform. You can believe whatever you want, but you can't teach it. And then they get sideways. Well, I can do whatever I want. And then they start trying to fight back and wreck things. It hurts. And there's always casualty. Dealing with the idea of Hymenaeus. He convinced people that the resurrection was already passed. And it wrecked their faith. Other people were casualties. It wasn't just Hymenaeus. Hymenaeus was so dangerous. That Paul had to turn him over to Satan. In order to protect everyone else. And by the way God will vindicate his man. Give enough time. God will vindicate. You got to be careful when God gets in a killing mood. God will take care of stuff. Not us. It's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to press forward. To war good warfare. You say, well, this doesn't sound like an encouraging message. What I'm trying to do is trying to tell you to stand up, stand up for Jesus. 
to keep advancing forward. No matter what you do, keep going forward. Whenever you're standing still, you're sliding back. The only position in the Christian life is on the offensive to keep moving forward. Even if it's one tiny step, take the tiny step. Take another tiny step. Take another tiny step. But if you're going to fall, fall forward. Keep moving forward. Keep taking ground. We have to keep pressing forward. Because as soon as we stop, as soon as we hold our position, that's when the casualties begin to hit. That's when things start to go awry. You understand, in the Christian life, we have the privilege of picking the battleground. That wherever we are, have the fight at, or stop, that's where the fight's going to be at. If we stop going out there, well, let's take it this way. If we go out there and bring the fight out there, the fight's not in here. But whenever we stop going out, we stop witnessing, stop asking people the question, stop inviting people to church, start, stop looking for the wounded, then we hole up here, the battle comes here. The same thing's true in your homes. If you're advancing the Christian life outside of your home and you're pressing forward, then the battle's not in your home. We have to be advancing forward. We pick the battleground. We take the fight to the enemy or the enemy will take the fight to us. We have to keep advancing forward. We have to keep moving forward. Keep pressing forward. Always moving forward. Because the fight is real. And people's lives are in the balance. It is a serious thing. But again, let me remind you of this. Jesus Christ brings the victory. Jesus Christ brings the victory. You understand who our boss is, who our captain is. It's Jesus who cannot lose the fight. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. That we go forward, we depend upon him. He is the one that gets the victory. You understand, we're on the winning side. We read the end of the book and guess what? We won. We won. We don't have to be discouraged. We're on the winning side. Isn't it always good to be on the winning side? To pick the winners? That's the side we're on. We don't have to be discouraged. We know that the fight's out there. But we keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep going forward. Keep going forward. Keep going forward. Now why is this message so important? Because if the message is to keep going forward, then the temptation is to stop moving forward. And there are times that people want to stop. They don't want to advance forward no more. They get tired. You know, there's nothing wrong with being tired in the work as long as you're not tired of the work. Does that make sense? You could be tired because of what you're doing, but you shouldn't be tired of what you're doing. To keep moving forward, keep advancing forward. And we need that reminder from time to time because our flesh wants to quit. The world pressures us to quit. Satan does everything he can to make us to quit. But we have to advance forward. Keep moving forward. I know that there are different people at different stages in their Christian life. Some are brand new to this Christian life and are just now learning what it is to move forward. Some of you have been in the fight for a while. The message is still the same. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Stay in the fight because the casualties are real. And we don't want you to be one of those casualties. There's victory in Jesus.
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.